Welcome to Real Paranormal Activity, the network. Entertainment you'll enjoy. You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Ladies and gentlemen, RPA is proud to present Aaron's Horror Show with Aaron Frail. Hi, I'm Phil Hughes. And I'm Jen Doherty. We're the creators of The Workshop Presents. And you're listening to Aaron's Horror Show with Aaron Frail. Welcome to Aaron's Horror Show Season 3, and I'm your host, Aaron Frail. We're going to go ahead and talk about movies, TV, and read some fiction. If you want to get hold of the show, you can go ahead and go to Facebook.com, Aaron's Horror Show, or you can go to Twitter.com, Aaron Horror Show, or you can go ahead and send us an email at Aaron's Horror Show at gmail.com. Uh, you can also go ahead and support the show by going to Patreon.com forward slash Aaron Frail. Thank you so much for listening, and enjoy the show. Welcome to Aaron's Horror Show, and I'm your host, Aaron Frail. All right, we got some more Orion for you. This time, life has taken an interesting turn. So, in his last life, Orion figured out that no matter how many nights he fights, there's always another one, and that day never seems to end until he dies. So it's an endless day and an endless amount of opponents. What is he going to do with that information? Let's find out in his next life. Life 3.5 star. In life 3.5402, I woke up to the explosion as I had so many times before. Hank thrashed and then twitched one final time. As the life left his body, I began counting in my head. One, one thousand, two, one thousand, three, one thousand. After a minute and 12 seconds went by, a shell hit the barracks and it collapsed and I died. Stabby rolled his eyes and poked me without saying a word. After a whole slew of other lives, I was back in 3.5403. After the first explosion and Hank's final twitch, I started counting again. 1, 1,000, 2, 1,000, 3, 1,000. However, instead of waiting for the fire to rain down on my head, I jumped through the hole in the wall and out of the barracks, and a shell hit the barracks, and it collapsed. Ten one thousand. Hmm. Only ten seconds had passed since Hank's final twitch. I was baffled. I decided to try it again. I find the nearest Viet Cong soldier and attempted to sell him used cars. Needless to say, it resulted in my capture and then led to my death. Stabby was silent on all business, which was unfortunate because I had wanted to tell him my findings. Yes, the situation was quite absurd. The only person who I could confide in was a serial killer who only wanted to murder me. However, Stabby was the only person whose memory transferred from life to life. If I were to talk to anyone else, I'd have to first convince them of what was happening and then have the same conversation with them over and over. With Stabby, at least I knew he understood what I was talking about. However, he'd go through these silent periods where we wanted nothing more than to just stab me. For 3.5404 and 
I tried the experiment again. I got the same result. One minute and 12 seconds would pass before the shell that brought down the barracks struck. 10 seconds would pass if I went straight to the exit. The first time it happened, I could say that it was the you know chaotic nature of war and so forth. Being hit by a shell largely depends on where you are standing at the time when the soldiers some distance away are stuffing the munitions. However, to always hit the barrack just as I was leaving but waiting longer if I decided to stay didn't make any sense to me. I heard the, you know, chaos theory where a small change can make a significant impact. For example, I decided to take a right turn instead of a left turn. By taking a right, I ended up on a highway. Because I was on that highway, the person behind me had to wait a few seconds longer to exit the highway. Because they waited those few seconds, they were stopped by a red light instead of speeding through a yellow. A drunk driver would have hit them if they were in the intersection at the time of the yellow. They're now safe because I turned right instead of left. What was happening to me was way beyond chaos theory. In chaos theory, the differences in the initial conditions were what changed the overall trajectory of the system. My decision to stay in the barracks or leave the barracks would be the change to those initial conditions. However, it made no sense why the impact of the shell would hit the barracks based on when I decided to leave it. Maybe myself staying in the barracks disturbed a butterfly and it flew to the soldier launching the mortar and no, that's a dumb idea. Suffice to say that reality was broken and now I wanted to figure out why. It was time to fly the helicopter, as Tabby had advised many lives ago. Once again, when the only person who could give you advice was a serial killer, it's easy to ignore that advice. But now I realize that life was so fucked up that the information from the said serial killer actually really did make sense. Still, in 3.5405, it took me a few moments to get my bearings. The base was under attack, the Viet Cong were shelling from all directions, enemy soldiers flooded in from the holes in the fences, machine gun fired rattled in every direction, yeah I know, so scary, well not for me. <laughs> Most of temporary buildings that were made up in the camp were on fire, and a few stray bullets hit my feet. Axe and Jackson screamed orders to mount a counteroffensive. I ran towards him and shoved him out of the way. I didn't stop for praise and I ran for the princess. The same enemy soldier from previous iterations popped up from behind the tent and swiped at me with a bayonet. I used his momentum to sidestep him and shoved him into the tent. The canvas collapsed around him and he got tangled up, just like he always did. I realized that no matter how many times I encountered that man, I never tried to kill him. Morally speaking, killing him wouldn't be a problem for most people. I mean, after all, he was trying to kill me, and most people forgave self-defense. Maybe it was my unique perspective on life, but I figured what made me a better person was not, you know, an eye for an eye or any of that crap, but, you know, finding a better way if I had a chance. Princess struggled with the patient, and I grabbed the stretcher. We ran to a sprint for the medevac helicopter. Bullets flew past us. Another shell blew up the ground around us. Enemy forces were closing in from all directions, and just as we were about to be overwhelmed, we made it to the chopper. We shoved the stretcher aboard, and the man inside helped the princess up. The wave of enemy soldiers had arrived, and the pilot couldn't wait. He lifted off, and I grabbed onto the skid, just like always. The copter rose from the ground, and the swarms of enemy soldiers collided with each other. Pot shots flew towards me. I felt one whiz by my face. The man who had helped the princess came for me next. He reached down, grabbed my hand, and lifted me inside. Before I could react, I yanked his sidearm from his holster and pointed it at him. The princess looked at me with disgust. 
You know, it was really painful to see the expression on her face. But this is the only way I could think of without killing anyone. I ordered the man to back off, and I cuffed him to the seat. I left the princess free to attend to her patient. I climbed to the front and pointed the gun at the pilot. I'm flying this bird, I said. And having comms are down, the pilot said. No one could get us out of here but me. I didn't want to shoot the guy. Unlike Stabby, I felt that leaving the world a better place than the one I entered was important. However, I had to know what was wrong with the world. Stabby seemed to think that me flying this helicopter was important, so I decided to give it a shot. However, I would not kill the guy. I would not go that far. Luckily, I didn't have to. A few stern looks and some choice words from me convinced the pilot to relinquish the controls. I cuffed him to the back, too, just in case he attempted to be a hero. We crashed about two minutes later. <laughs> Learning to fly a chopper by trial and error in an enemy hot zone is not recommended for those who enjoy living. However, in all my lives, I never learned to fly, so I spent the next ten lives learning to keep the chopper in the air. The next twenty were spent learning how to turn. Another thirty were spent on everything else. By 3.5465, I could whiz through the skies like I was some hotshot stunt pilot just out of the academy. Flying was exhilarating, probably one of the more memorable moments of my life. If I ignored the fact that I kidnapped two soldiers in the back and the love of my life thought I was some monster who went joyriding while an injured soldier bled out, you know, it was quite fun. I spent a few more lives learning the tricks and testing the limits of the chopper. When 3.5505 came around, I decided that playtime was over and turned the helicopter around. Since I knew we'd be shot down in enemy territory if we kept going the same direction the pilot was going, I figured the exact opposite direction was a better choice. But it didn't make any difference. We were shot down just the same. For the next few lives, I chose various directions, but we kept getting shot down in the same spot. No matter where I flew, we'd always crash. I also noticed the jungle looked the same in any direction. It was as if the wilderness was in some infinite loop. I was flying in circles. I couldn't go back to the base we had left moments ago. I attempted to lessen the time it took to get to the controls, but I was never able to get to them while the base was still in view. This was another fixed moment, like my father dragging me back to tie me up in the attic. We'd always crash in the jungle in the same damn spot. The pilot would still go head first through the windshield, even if he was cuffed in the back. It wasn't impossible that he'd get flung to the front, but it was highly unlikely. Logic dictated that if I was impaled by a tree when I sat in the co-pilot seat, then sitting in the pilot seat would change the outcome. However, each time the chopper went down, I woke up with the same dang tree branch in my chest. In my first few lives, I thought it was bad luck. Then I realized it had to do with my immortality. Now I wondered if there was something else going on. The jungle was not only infinite from the air, it was also infinite from the ground. After each crash, I'd walk for miles, long enough for the sun to set. Each time I would come across the same stream with the same dead guy and hear the same scream. I had walked in a straight line in every single direction, but I always came back to the same point. Finally, when I was finished exploring, I decided to go towards the princess. Before Stabby could pull out his blade, I said, The jungle is infinite. Stabby lowered his weapon and nodded to the Viet Cong soldiers. They let me go. Princess made some snarky remark. I didn't respond to her. I couldn't believe I was ignoring her. She had been my motivation throughout my many lives. It felt awkward to 
shuffle her to the background, but I had to know if there was even a chance. The tournament is infinite too, I said, and I realized I didn't want to admit that fact to myself. The knight I was currently defeating in life too was the 132nd knight, and he made Sir Kay look like a wimp. Stabby nodded, and my heart broke. Welcome to the eternal now. My life ended seconds later. Alright, that's Orion. I will see you next week. Have a good night. Bye.